From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are Nancy Marshall Genzer, Senior Reporter for Marketplace, and Steve Reddish, VOA Executive Editor. Welcome, Nancy and Steve. Hello, Kim. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having us. Well, here are the issues. President Joe Biden plans to stick to his August 31st deadline for U.S. troops to leave Afghanistan. Earlier, Biden and other G7 leaders met virtually to discuss the situation in Afghanistan, with several pushing for him to keep U.S. troops in the country beyond the deadline to facilitate the ongoing evacuation effort. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, during her tour of Southeast Asia, said the international community needs to raise the pressure on China over its widespread territorial claims over the South China Sea. Also, the recent donation of 23 million doses of COVID vaccines has given the U.S. image in Southeast Asia an unexpected lift. The U.S. House voted strictly along party lines to adopt a rule that allows Democrats to immediately begin to work on a massive $3.5 trillion social benefits package. The House also approved the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act in a party line vote, kicking the legislation to the Senate, where it faces longer odds of passage. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, granted the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine full approval in a highly anticipated move that's expected to boost vaccinations and spark more mandates nationwide. Those are the issues, and let's get started. Nancy, I will start with you. Top Biden administration officials said they would soon provide long-awaited details regarding the number of Americans still stranded in Afghanistan amid mounting bipartisan pressure to ensure that no American is left behind following the Taliban's takeover. So at this point, where is the administration on the status of Americans and American allies stranded there? They have been reluctant to actually give out that number. They just say they're evacuating tens of thousands of people every day in this massive airlift. And security is becoming an increasing concern. In fact, the U.S. Embassy in Kabul actually issued a security advisory, and it said because of security threats outside the gates of the Kabul airport, it's telling U.S. citizens not to go to the airport and to avoid the airport gates unless they got specific instructions from the U.S. government to do that. So security is a big concern right now. Also, Steve, Representatives Seth Moulton, a Democrat from Massachusetts, and Peter Mayer, a Republican from Michigan, said in a joint statement that they had traveled to Kabul to conduct oversight on the mission to evacuate Americans and their allies, and that the trip had been conducted in secret to minimize the risk and disruption to the people on the ground. So a lot of U.S. officials are characterizing this visit as an unhelpful distraction. So was this helpful or unhelpful, or does it really matter at this point? I'm not quite sure if it matters at this point. One of the things that both congressmen said that they did was take a look at the situation on the ground, and the situation on the ground changed their minds about how the Biden administration was going about doing this evacuation, that according to 
what I've read from Seth Moulton, there really wasn't a good way of getting out of Afghanistan, that if there had been a more orderly evacuation, then perhaps the Taliban would have taken over a lot sooner. I think they said that their eyes were open to the issues and the major problems that the U.S. was going to encounter in withdrawing at any time. So whether it was helpful or unhelpful to the actual cause, I do think that the members of Congress brought back some interesting insights as to what was happening on the ground. And we'll see whether or not the U.S. can get out by the self-imposed deadline. So far, it seems that they've gotten almost 100,000 people out of Afghanistan, although there are estimates that there are another 100 to 200,000 Afghans who do need to get out of the country. So the congressman may have caused a distraction at the moment, but I do see some value as an American for having our members of Congress there to see what was going on. It's interesting that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has said this effort to get people out of Afghanistan does not end on August 31st, the day the U.S. is supposed to leave Afghanistan. And he said it will continue for as long as it takes to help get people out of Afghanistan who want to leave. He mentioned that the Taliban have both publicly and privately committed to allowing the safe passage of Americans and third country nationals and even at-risk Afghans safe passage after the August 31st deadline. And perhaps some of the reasons the Taliban are amenable to this is that the U.S. and other countries hold billions of dollars of Afghan assets in, in their reserve banks. President Biden has frozen them, and 80% of Afghanistan's budget is, is actually funded by the United States and other countries. So the Taliban do see that they are going to need some sort of financial lifeline, and perhaps this is one of the reasons they're open to allowing withdrawal even after the August 31st deadline. Well, we see these images coming out of Afghanistan, along with President Biden being accused by both Republicans and some Democrats for underestimating the Taliban and overestimating the strength of the now-collapsed U.S.-backed Afghan government and military are having an impact on Biden's poll numbers with Americans, and that the poll numbers have so far looked like they're going down. But really, is this a concern now, or is this a temporary setback? I think the Biden administration sees it as a temporary setback because it looks at other polling that shows that the majority of Americans want the U.S. to get out of Afghanistan. And as far as the messiness of this evacuation, it's definitely complicated by the Islamic State. Some of the threats that I mentioned to the airport are coming from the Islamic State affiliate in Afghanistan known as ISIS-K, and President Biden has mentioned them. And they've apparently threatened to send suicide bombers into the crowd outside the airport in Kabul or even bomb the airfield. Yes, and also the Taliban have been telling working women in Afghanistan to stay home until proper systems are in place to ensure their safety. The UN has also highlighted credible reports of abuses by the Taliban, notably restrictions on women. So the future of women in Afghanistan looks like it could be a return to the pre-2001 times of Sharia law. Despite the Taliban's promises for a different kind of rule, so far the evidence that is trickling out of Afghanistan shows that many women have taken themselves off the streets, especially in Kabul, and staying home out of fear that they would be targeted by 
various different Taliban fighters and other members. So yes, the status of women and their opportunities for advancement is clearly at risk with the Taliban takeover. And one thing I thought that was interesting that the Taliban spokesman said was this was just temporary that women should not go out because other Taliban troops hadn't been trained yet not to hurt women. So that's kind of foreboding. It really is. So I guess a lot of human rights advocates are really looking at that situation with a lot of concern. Let's look on now to Vice President Kamala Harris's trip to Singapore and Vietnam. This was to help strengthen ties with the Southeast Asian nations. So how has the situation in Afghanistan affected her goal, Steve? Well, her job to bolster the U.S. image as a reliable partner and ally for Southeast Asian nations to resist China's pressure and is made more difficult by the news and images coming out of Afghanistan, where the U.S. is seen as abandoning its allies. China is pouncing on that theme and making various different statements publicly about America's commitment to its allies, especially in Southeast Asia. It's an interesting parallel. The vice president of the U.S. visiting Vietnam, where 45 years ago, Americans left fighting an unwinnable war at the same time the U.S. is leaving Afghanistan after fighting an unwinnable war. And the images of the chaos that we saw last week at the Kabul airport is just another reminder of the chaos and the images that we saw in 1975, where America was leaving Saigon and people were trying to hold on to the helicopters that were taking off from the embassy. Similar images, similar situations. I, I just found it very interesting that the vice president is in Vietnam at the same time the U.S. is getting out of Afghanistan. And also the Biden administration says ties with Southeast Asia are crucial to the future prosperity and security of the United States. And this promise of renewed focus on the region is not new. Other administrations have made the same promise. So Nancy, are these countries ready to do business with the U.S. despite their ties with China? Well, they seem to be. And the Biden administration is trying to sweeten the pot. Harris has promised that the U.S. will provide $23 million to help Vietnam expand distribution and access to COVID vaccines. And she also said the U.S. will send a million additional doses of the Pfizer vaccine to Vietnam. And the Defense Department is going to provide freezers for the vaccine. So the U.S. is promising a lot of aid. It's hard to turn that away. But the United States is also facing a similar situation where China just tries to one-up the United States. They did so after Harris's announcement of the one million doses of COVID vaccine. China went out and said, well, we're going to provide Vietnam two million doses of its vaccine. And the question being the efficacy of the Chinese vaccine versus the U.S. vaccine. But still, China sees itself as the main influencer in that region. And Quite frankly, they're not going anywhere. So Southeast Asian nations do have to pay some heed to what China is doing and the kind of pressure China is exerting on their economies and their societies. And in addition, Vice President Harris proposed deeper health care and medical partnerships and opening a first regional branch of the U.S. Center for Disease Control in Hanoi. So I guess this certainly looks like a step in trying to prosper renewed focus in the region. And I'm sure, as you all pointed out, China's probably going to try to one-up those proposals. Probably. And Harris was quite clear about what she called Chinese bullying in the South China Sea. 
China didn't like those comments at all, and it said it rejects U.S. law enforcement forces in the South China Sea and meddling. So that's definitely an area of conflict. In most of the speeches and questions and answers that President Biden has been taking about Afghanistan over the last couple of weeks has been this underlying theme that the United States needs to deal with China in various different aspects, economic, military, and the United States focus has to be put back on these great powers of China and Russia rather than spending time in places where the United States doesn't have as many interests such as Afghanistan and spending the kind of money and personnel in Afghanistan that doesn't necessarily translate to the kind of 21st century issues that the United States is now facing regarding China and to a lesser extent, Russia. Good points that you all have raised on this issue. And it's time now for a quick break. And when we come back, House Democrats rallied behind a new strategy to advance President Biden's economic agenda. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panelists who are joining me via Skype, Nancy Marshall Genzer, senior reporter for Marketplace, and Steve Reddish, BOA executive editor. Well, Steve, House Democrats adopted a rule that allows Democrats to immediately begin work on a massive $3.5 trillion social benefits package. The rule also requires the lower chamber to take up the Senate-passed bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill by September 27th. So can you just break this down a little for us to better understand it? It's a slow inching toward a vote on two very big dollar items. And the slow pace of getting to these votes is because of very slim margins Democrats have in both houses of Congress. A five vote margin in the House of Representatives, and it's basically tied in the U.S. Senate with the vice president casting the deciding vote in a 50-50 split Senate. So the Democrats have been trying to, A, figure out how to get their own caucus, which has both progressives and moderates and some conservatives in the caucus, getting their own house in order as far as how much they're going to spend and what they're going to spend it on, and then trying to get those votes through in an order that allows basically every Democrat to claim victory rather than worry about elections coming up in 2022. Both of the big money spending bills are key to President Biden's economic plan and hopefully for Democrats. They see this as their ticket to getting larger margins in both the House and the Senate in 2022. If they can get this economic plan going, then the fruits of that plan will be seen in 2022, and they believe that it will sway voters to vote for Democrats in larger numbers than they did in 2020. And Nancy, not all the Democratic Party is united on this. So just how difficult will it be for the party to stay united when it comes to turning its policy goals into law in the coming weeks as it seeks to show voters that they can govern? 
Well, I would say never underestimate House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. All she committed to with the more conservative Democrats in her caucus was to start a vote by September 27th, not to finish it. And the House and Senate have so much to do in the month of September. About a dozen House committees now have to go through this massive $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill and mark it up and vote on amendments. And they're supposed to finish that by September 15th. And then there's the September 27th vote. Meanwhile, government funding runs out September 30th. The new fiscal year starts October 1st. And they have to deal with that. And then there's the debt limit. And the government is expected to hit the debt limit in October or November. So Congress has so much on its plate in September. And you mentioned the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Getting that passed through the House that went along party lines, getting it through the Senate, and then getting that bill to the president's desk to sign is going to be a very heavy lift because the Senate, it's unlikely they're going to consider it because their rules say you need 60 votes to consider any kind of legislation. And the Democrats only have 50 votes. And Republicans see voting rights as an issue that may help Democrats in the 2022 elections and beyond. So getting that issue through both houses of Congress, as Nancy mentioned, another heavy lift. Yes, and in talking about this bill, it centers around restoring the federal preclearance originally instituted by the 1965 Voting Rights Act, which was eroded by a 2013 Supreme Court decision. So I guess the future of it, as you pointed out, Steve, is pretty unclear at this point. But it is something that has been in the forefront of the national political debate after last year's election. So how do you all see this bill going forward? I think Steve's right. It would be a very heavy lift in the Senate. And the object of the bill is to restore some of the civil rights, voting rights protections that were made law in the 1960s and have subsequently been overturned by the courts so that the only way to restore them is through Congress. And these are things like special observers, for states that had Jim Crow laws or laws that made it very difficult for groups like African Americans to vote, some of those laws have been rolled back so you don't have as many observers. And in fact, you have some laws in some of these states that will make it even harder for people to vote. And there is an effort in the Senate to have somewhat of a watered-down voting rights bill brought forth. While it may attract some Republican votes, it may also repel some Democratic voters because there's not necessarily enough in the watered-down bill to mollify all of the Democrats. Before we move on to our final topic, I just wanted to touch a little bit more on the $3.5 trillion social benefits package and how America is going to pay for this. And we see the analysts trying to break this down financially, and it looks like it's going to involve huge tax increases. So, Nancy, just really, will America be able to handle this type of a debt? Well, interest rates are really low right now, and that's what the Biden administration keeps saying. But if interest rates rise, then the U.S. would have to pay more on its debt. But the feeling right now is interest rates are really low. Let's go for it. They're using some budgetary gimmicks to pay for part of it. They do have some tax increase proposals to pay for some of it. But right now we can pay for it because interest rates are low. But who knows in the future? I think taxes will 
likely go up at some point in order to pay for it. And as Nancy mentioned, the low interest rates allows the United States to borrow at lower costs. At some point, interest rates will likely rise at some point in the future. And how to pay for that is going to be a, another serious question that Congress almost always does kicks it down the road. Well, let's move on then to our final topic. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the first COVID-19 vaccine for ages 16 and up. The vaccine has been commonly known as the Pfizer vaccine. Nancy, many large employers, colleges and universities and state and local governments are expected to put vaccine requirements in place in the wake of this approval. And already I have really seen, I'm sure you all have to have seen this happening. So what do you think the future is going to be like with this approval? I think it's going to make it a lot easier for businesses to mandate the vaccine. I think many were waiting for the vaccine to be fully approved by the FDA. By law, employers dictate the terms of employment and vaccination can indeed be a term of employment. They are on very firm legal ground doing this. And already you're seeing companies like Tyson Foods is requiring everybody to be vaccinated by either September 24th or October 1st. And it's offering some incentives for people to do that. Delta Airlines is not requiring people to be vaccinated, but it says if you're not vaccinated and you're covered by the Delta health insurance plan, you have to pay an extra $200 a month. So I think we're going to see more companies actually mandating vaccination or using creative ways like that to try to encourage people to get vaccinated. Many see the full authorization as creating that, that legal foundation for businesses and government to mandate the vaccine so that they won't get sued. As well, there's a large group of Americans unvaccinated, those who have not gotten the vaccine yet, who have indicated they'd be more willing to take the vaccine if it received full approval from the government instead of the emergency use authorization that the vaccines have been administered under so far. So there is hope in the administration that getting this full approval by the FDA will just get more people to say, okay, now that it's a fully approved vaccine, I'll go get it. The Biden administration has made increasing vaccinations a priority in its efforts to combat the Delta variant. So just looking at it from the Biden administration's viewpoint, and I know you all pointed out that you do see more mandates come. Do you think Biden will push more mandates? He already has. I mean, he's already said that nursing homes that receive any kind of federal money require their workers to be vaccinated. And federal money is very important to nursing homes because a lot of their patients are on Medicare, which is the health insurance program for elderly Americans. And the U.S. military is going to require troops to be vaccinated and they could be subject to pretty strict penalties if they refuse. And I think the next big milestone for the Biden administration and the FDA is clearing the vaccine for children under 12 years of age. The big social fight over COVID is at the local level and in schools where boards of education are trying to determine whether to issue mask mandates, what to do with families that don't want to have their children masked. There's also the teachers unions that have been wary of the vaccine, wary of sending their teachers back to school. So moving ahead as far as getting full authorization for the other vaccines, as well as getting the vaccine authorized for children under 12 years of age is the next big hurdle, I think, for the Biden administration to move past the COVID-19 era and into a different type of America. But it's still, from all indications, COVID is going to be around for quite a while. 
I agree. I think it certainly will be. And I just wanted to touch on the money aspect of this vaccine. Pfizer said last month it expects the vaccine to bring in $33.5 billion in revenue this year, placing in among the biggest selling drugs of all time. Nancy, do you think money was a part of the reason this vaccine was pushed through so quickly? I think money is part of everything. And the U.S. government kickstarted it by providing the seed money for these vaccines and ordering them in advance. So certainly the companies didn't have to take too much of a chance and now they're reaping quite a profit. And then you also consider that if people start getting booster shots, that's more of a demand. And then if this becomes an annual thing like the flu shot that we have every year, that would be a steady stream of income for companies like Pfizer. Steve, your take on this. Nancy said it all. Money is, is <laughs> at the root of almost anything. So I don't know if it had anything to do with getting the vaccine a full approval and full authorization or not, but money does seem to grease the wheels of most everything in not just American society, but world society as well. Well said, both of you. And we'll have to end on that note. My thanks go out to our panelists, Nancy Marshall-Genzer, senior reporter for Marketplace, and Steve Reddish, BOA executive editor. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News.